Hello, church family. I am delighted to be with you today. Thank you for joining us for another virtual church together. It's cold outside, so hopefully you have found a warm place to rest. I'm in the study here and just looking forward to sharing with you in today's teaching. Today's teaching is dystopia. I was thinking this week, um, in fact, reading a piece that I'll share a little bit from um, about California's wildfires, and there is a connection to today's teaching. In, in the process, as well as thinking about a couple of stories in Scripture, I think there's some important lessons for us to reflect on as we're inhabiting a unique time in human history. Dystopia, if you're familiar with the word, is often thought of as the antonym for utopia. This is taken, by the way, from Wikipedia. Utopia was a word coined by Sir Thomas More and figures as the title of his best-known work published in 1516, in which he created a blueprint for an ideal society with minimal crime uh, minimal violence, and as well as minimal poverty. So it's this vision of an incredible, near-perfect society. Dystopia, then, would essentially, in the simplistic sense, be the opposite of a utopia. Dystopia, by the way, is um, a somewhat, I don't know if it's popular is the right word, but it is, it is a fictional uh, cinematic genre. You may be familiar with there are multiple um, TV series that focus on, and movies that focus on the idea of dystopia, novels as well focusing on that subject. But dystopia, while it captures our imagination when it comes to fiction, etc., dystopia has been more the story of human civilization than not. And today as we Think about the, the story of Scripture as we think about our place in, in history. We're living, I think, in much more of a, dare I say, dystopia with a pandemic that has been wreaking havoc on our planet at all kinds of levels with um, political turmoil, both on American soil as well as international soil, with climate issues, major climate issues. Again, the um, I, I, I watched or, or didn't watch, I listened to a podcast this week called The California I Married, just devoted to the um, recent, the, the last few years of incredible wildfires in the state of California, and the author wrestling with this new era in the history of California, not sort of a blip on the radar screen, but more of this is just the way life is now. And that's kind of, for me, that's kind of what's behind today's message is, is as we live right now, there's a need for us to to embrace, to face, to come to terms with the way life is. But that's coming up later um, in today's teaching. There is a city, a real-life city, at least was a real-life city, that inspired some of, and maybe still inspires, some of dystopian literature. The city is called the Kowloon Walled City, and it was 
originally a Chinese military fort. You can find this information again in Wikipedia. Originally a Chinese military fort, it was... Um, became an enclave after the new territories were released to the United Kingdom by China in 1898. This um, population increased dramatically following the Japanese occupation of Hong Kong during World War II. By 1990, the walled city contained 50,000 residents on just 6.4 acres. And it was ruled by local triads, had high rates of prostitution, gambling, and drug abuse. The city was uh, dismantling, or, or at least plans were made to dismantle the city in 1987. And um, demolition began in 1993, and a park was opened on that those grounds after the demolition in 1995. But the city became has become kind of a metaphor, in a sense, or a representation of dystopia because of its history of being this walled-off, miserable place to live. Now to the California wildfire story. Again, we're talking about dystopia, living in an environment that is not ideal, an environment that is... is um, not just unpredictable, but has a lot of negative factors present. And so one of these is an example of kind of a dystopian present would be the California wildfires, which now don't really have a season. They just kind of burn year-round somewhere in California. It's almost certain there's a fire. And here are some of the author's comments. The author, by the way, is Elizabeth Wheel. This was um, published, the article, in the New York Times Magazine. Here is a little bit from the end of that article. We can't fix California's wildfire problem with a big idea. We can only settle into the trans-apocalypse and work for the best future, the best present. That starts with acknowledging that our political structures have failed us and keep failing us every day. The powerful have failed the vulnerable. The old have failed the young. The global north has failed the global south. We have failed one another. It's a real grown-up look mortality in the eye moment we face. And that sober note really brings me to this place in today's teaching that as a civilization... And speaking especially of the place we are in America, we are in that place of needing to really look things in the eye and acknowledge it's not going well. And that's not obviously not hard necessarily for us to do. Many of you are already doing that. But we're also needing to look our own lives in the face, needing to look our even our church in the face and come to terms with where we are. I think you'll understand more of that as we get into today's story. We're looking at two characters, primarily two characters, who lived at a time, a very real time, of dystopia. Those two characters are Ruth and Hannah. Our Bible in 90 Days group has been reading through the Judges, just read the story of Ruth and into the story or into the book of 1 Samuel. Ruth is a fascinating book. 
the judges talk multiple times about the Moabites and the problems the Moabites caused, and um, also talk about over and over again how God's people are turning their backs on him. And then the story of Ruth comes along, and Ruth is a Moabite. She is married or ends up marrying an Israelite. And this Moabite woman who's raised in a pagan home decides that she wants to serve the true God. So she changes her faith to follow the God that Israel keeps wandering away from. So it's this beautiful story flipping, kind of flipping everything on its head in between Judges and Samuel, a woman who shouldn't be following the true God, following the true God at a time when the people who follow the true God seem to not want to follow him. And then the story at the beginning of Samuel, the story of Hannah and her incredible faith. Both of these women are living in a dystopian time. We're going to look first at the story of Ruth. Ruth is the wife of one of Elimelech's sons. Elimelech and Naomi had left their native land of Judah and moved to Moab. There's a famine back home in Judah, and so they moved to Moab. While in Moab, Elimelech dies, and then the sons die. This is a hard story. Ruth finds herself living in Moab with her sister-in-law and her mother-in-law, all three of them widows. What do you do at a time like that? What does Ruth do being here a widow? The contrast is fascinating between Naomi and Ruth. Naomi is heartbroken, and and in the midst of her heartbreak, hears about things going better in Judah, and so she decides to return home. The two girls begin the journey with her, but then Naomi tells them, listen, don't come with me. Go back to your own people. May God bless you and be with you, and let's part our ways. Orpah tears, but accepts Naomi's instruction to go home. Ruth does not. Ruth insists on going with Naomi. And here are Ruth's words. You probably are familiar with them. This is from the NIV. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. By the way, forgive me, I'm using a Bible without verse references today. This is NIV, but the story is in the book of Ruth. That was from chapter 1. The story continues. Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem. She's greeted. Now here is her response to those who greet her. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? 
The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. I want you to notice the contrast in the story. Naomi can only see what she's lost. I wonder sometimes if that's where we live. We live in that place where we can only see what we've lost. We can only think back on the way it once was, whether that's personally, the health we used to have, the friends we used to have, or whether that's um, financially, the money we used to have, or whether that's career-wise, the job we used to have, or whether that's church, the church we used to have, the things we used to do. There is a sense, you know, and it was in that story about the California wildfires, there is a sense in which you and I do need to come to terms with what is. The world today is not the world it was. Naomi is kind of living there and kind of living in the past. She's living in the sense of being aware of her loss, but she's focused on what she had. And that focus prevents her from seeing what she has. The story of Ruth is quite different. Ruth has also lost a husband. Ruth is a widow. But Ruth sees life differently. She's not in denial that things are difficult. But instead of Ruth living in the past, Ruth lives in the present in two important ways. The first way that we notice in the book of Ruth is that Ruth disavows her Moabite gods and embraces the living God. Somehow Naomi seems to only see God as the one who has taken. Ruth sees God as one to be had, as one that's desirable. Ruth, as the story continues, also accepts what is but in the middle of it, does what she can in spite of what is. So those two things, Ruth embraces God in the middle of what is, and number two, Ruth does what she can. Ruth begins to take care of her mother-in-law. That's what is present and available to her. Instead of grieving her husband, the death of her father-in-law. She takes what is. Her mother-in-law is a widow and also has lost her children. Her mother-in-law is rebuilding. Back home, yes, but rebuilding. Ruth steps in and starts to take action. And taking action is the place where Ruth meets God. See, God shows up in extraordinary ways when Ruth simply does what she can with what is. And and that's an important lesson. I want to encourage you to not live in denial, to take the counsel of, 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 um, of Elizabeth related to the California wildfires, to take ownership of what is. This is the situation, whether that's with your family, your personal life, your business, your finances, your health, whatever it is, the church. Take stock of what is. 
This is the state we're in. We may wish, look back at what we've lost, but that's not helping us. Ruth doesn't live in the past. Ruth lives in the present and does what she can in the present. Number one, as I mentioned, Ruth embraces God. The, the, the living God that she has seen show up in spite of the losses. And number two, Ruth begins to step into the present, taking action to make a difference for good. And in doing so, watches God work in profound ways all around her to bring some healing to the past And even Naomi, by the end of the book of Ruth, is filled with blessing. And it's a result of Ruth not denying reality, but doing what she can in the middle of it. The next story we come to is in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel. It's actually the next story. Ruth finishes up, and then we come to the story of Samuel and the story of Hannah. Now, Hannah's circumstances are also what you might call dystopian, in fact, dramatically worse compared to Ruth's. The pastors at church, it's said in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Listen, when, when, Elkanah, when, when um, Elkanah and his family went to church, they were robbed, essentially, in modern terms, they were robbed at gunpoint. Read about it. 1 Samuel chapter 2. The people would steal, the, the priests or the servants of the priests would steal from the parishioners who came to worship. The, and I, I want to avoid being too graphic, but the priests would sleep with the women, not at home, but at the tabernacle. So we're talking about the pastor sleeping with the women, well known by the congregation, by the way, sleeping with the women who came to church. This was a time unprecedented. That's where Hannah lives, at a time where the church has fallen apart. And then you look at chapter 1, and Hannah's home life is miserable. She is one of two wives. The other wife is Penina. Penina is a woman eaten up by jealousy. Apparently, Elkanah loves Hannah more and shows her favor Hannah can't have children, so she's a useless wife, but Elkanah loves her. Penina can have children and has them and feels like the favored and yet not, feels like, I should say, feels like the unappreciated successful wife. And so she's eaten up by jealousy and it's miserable. She, She drives Hannah to tears. In the story, Elkanah is consumed with his dysfunctional family, especially with his poor wife, Hannah, who's eaten up by this jealous wife, Penina. And Penina is consumed with jealousy. They're they're living in the present, but totally consumed by the problems of the present. But Hannah sees things differently. Yes, Hannah knows that the family circumstances are miserable. She's not living in denial. It's miserable in Elkanah's home. 
She's not living in denial of her religious situation either. The priests, the pastors, are thieves and crooked as they come. But Hannah sees beyond her present circumstances. And Hannah believes that in the middle of her broken circumstances, God still shows up. So Hannah goes to church, or in this case, the temple, the tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And it's there that Hannah prays for God's intervention. Her prayer is so unexpected that the priest Eli thinks she's drunk. Apparently, apparently prayer was so rare that priest Eli couldn't recognize it. Hannah prays. Priest Eli sends Hannah away with the assurance that her prayer will be heard. Here, this priest whose sons are are unbelievably corrupt is God's messenger to offer hope to Hannah. Hannah goes home, gives birth to Samuel, raises him when he's weaned, still a toddler. She returns to the tabernacle and gives her son into the care of Levi to serve in God's presence. Now, this is remarkable. Hannah trusts God to work and protect and keep her son, who will be in close proximity and regular company with the sons of Eli and their servants who are so corrupt that God says their priestly lineage will be obliterated. See, Hannah knows her circumstances are bad. Hannah isn't in denial. But Hannah sees a God who shows up in spite of and in the middle of them. And Hannah is inviting us today in the middle of where we sit, in the middle of whatever's going on in your home, with your health, with your relationships, to see beyond the scene and the circumstances to see and know that God still shows up. I want to share something from my notes with you. There is a sense that until we embrace what is and invite God into it, we're not going to see him move like he can. The real thing on my heart today is quite simple. I don't want us to live in the past. Things will never be the same. You you pick it. It's changed. And it's probably changed for good. So it doesn't do any of us any good to, to mourn the things that are not. Like Naomi. 
It doesn't do us any good to be like Elkanah, wrapped up in the circumstances, worried about the circumstances, but taking no action. And it doesn't do us to be do, do us any good to be like Penina, who's consumed with jealousy and rivalry. They were in their circumstances, but completely missed the God who was also present. And so then there's Hannah, and then there's Ruth. Both of these women knew it was bad. They what was was dystopian. It wasn't good. They didn't deny that. But in Ruth's case and in Hannah's case, they did what they could where they were at. For Ruth, she begins to care for Naomi. For Hannah, she goes to the temple, this, this, the, the tabernacle, this place of worship in a broken church, in a broken society from a broken and breaking family. And Hannah prays. Both of these women, they don't try to escape their circumstances in denial, but they believe there's a God who acts in the present. They see, instead of getting lost in the past like Naomi did, Ruth embraces the God who is, who cares, who loves. I really want us to embrace the fact in our lives that some things will never be the same that life and the world is changing all around us, and I I don't want us to be stuck in the past. But I also, in the present and its brokenness, want us to see beyond to the God who is. Listen, we can't afford to get stuck in the trouble. We can see the trouble for what it is and that it is, But in the middle of that, reach out to a God who is present and allow God to do something new, to take those finances that are broken and do something new, to take that marriage that is on the rocks and do something new, to take that unforgiving spirit that seems without resolution and do something new, to take the church that is struggling, that is in a time of transition, things are not the same as they used to be. But see a God who shows up in the middle of it and does something new. So let's not run from, in Elizabeth's case, California wildfires. Let's not run from difficult circumstances. Let's not live in the past or ignore the present. But let's Do what we can in the moment and believe in a God who's bigger than the circumstances. God, thank you so much for the reminder and the invitation from Hannah and Ruth to see life the way it is, but to see beyond what it is to a God who can do what we cannot imagine, to believe in a God who shows up in the middle of what is to make something new. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more content or to connect with us, visit us online at brunswickadventist.church.